Do you know what separates a failed business exit from a highly profitable one? Do you want to maximize the value of your business? The Business Exit Stories podcast is the solution. Through a collection of stories told by the business intermediaries who facilitate those transactions, you'll receive the key takeaways from successful and, yes, some not-so-successful business exits. Now is the time to begin to position your business for an exit by implementing key strategies designed to maximize your enterprise value and help you achieve an exceptionally profitable exit. Today we have with us Mike Kendall, who manages a boutique M&A firm that specializes in lower mid-market deals. The interesting thing about his transactional stories today is the unique takeaways and why he turns down potential clients. In the first story that Mike shares with us, a family-owned business that had been successful for decades was turned over to a founder's son. While the succession planning was a key part of the long-term plans for the founder, the succession plan didn't really go as planned. For those listeners that are planning on executing a family-oriented succession plan, this story has some great takeaways and some key insights. You need to hear why Mike decided not to take on this client and why you don't ever want to be in that type of situation. Then Mike shares a couple of transactional stories of companies with similar issues when they were being positioned for sales and how the two founders handled their exits dramatically differently and with dramatically equal different results. One founder ended up being not able to sell his company and the other had buyers lined up. The sad thing is both founders could have had buyers lined up to buy their companies if they had followed one key principle, and that is to keep the foot on the gas, which is why one founder was able to sell his company and the other didn't. You'll need to really understand this concept, and these two stories dramatically demonstrate this concept of keeping your foot on the gas extremely well. Finally, Mike shares how fraud by one of the partners nearly bankrupted their company, but because the right things were done to build credibility and trust with the buyers, the company had several buyers lined up to purchase the company. You'll learn the importance of trust in these type of situations and how you can create it. So let's get going. This is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories podcast. Today, we're here with Mike Kendall. Mike has got some great stories for us today. I think that you're going to enjoy his takeaways. Uh, He's been in the business for quite some time. Michael, would you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about where you're located and a little bit about your firm? Sure. Uh, Mike Kendall. uh, Kendall Capital Group is the name of my firm. Uh, We are located in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Most of our business is is in and around the St. Louis uh, kind of Midwest uh, uh, marketplace. I typically, uh, I'm a generalist, but I typically work, I really kind of consider myself an in-betweener type, meaning that uh, I'm working with uh, companies below the kind of private equity level, um, but above kind of the main street business brokerage. So typically like two to $20 million uh, type companies. Well, that's great. Um, How long have you been in the business? Uh, I got into the business in uh, 2010. Uh, I sold my company in 2006. And stayed on for uh, a couple of years, and in uh, uh, started uh, consulting, and and uh, found that uh, all the projects that I really enjoyed were were M and A, uh, and I had uh, quite a bit of experience already in M and A, and so I kind of hung up all the consulting stuff and just focused on nothing but M and A. Well, I think we're going to uh, enjoy some of the transactions you have been involved in, in the last ten or so years. So let's jump in. Why don't we start out with a transaction that kind of had its issues and uh, maybe closed, maybe did not close. Why don't you take us through uh, uh, one of those companies you've helped facilitate? Yeah. Um, You you know, one of uh, uh, the frustrating parts for me is, is, is uh, I always tell owners, don't, don't take your foot off the gas and make sure you sprint through the finish line. And uh, this story uh, is one that uh, unfortunately didn't close. And, uh, in this business, when you when it doesn't close, that means you probably spent six nine months uh, of work and 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 received not a dime for it. 
and it's 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 frustrating. But uh, this was a uh, hauling uh, company that uh, specialized in setting up uh, the you know big uh, uh, double wide kind of mobile uh, facilities. So when you say hauling company, they they moved around the double wide structures. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, big structures. You know, they would put them together. So so like when you see those uh, stores at a at a PGA event, uh, those are all temporary structures. So they would be you know set set up stuff like that. Uh, they would, you know, temporary structures for schools when they're doing remodeling. Uh, so they look like a, a permanent structure when you go in, but uh, as soon as they're done with it, they they uh, break it apart, pack it up, and and ship it off. Uh, so they they did all the logistics, uh, moving, setup, and also maintenance for for a lot of those uh, 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 facilities. Well, having you know seen those type of structures moving around, it can be a kind of a complex uh, task because you have so much so much of the logistics going on with local municipalities and, you know, people on the road and power lines and everything else you got to be concerned about. Yep. Uh, heights, um, you know, what time you can do it. Uh, you got to get approval uh, from all the municipalities. A, a lot of times um, some of these municipalities will, will want their own uh, folks escorting you through their jurisdiction, if you will. So, so it's it's really uh, a lot of stuff goes into it that you wouldn't think. I would think that a lot of this work would take place after hours when there wasn't so much going on. You know, like I don't know if in the middle of the night anyway, but you know, at least. Well, definitely don't want to do it during rush hour. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would imagine, you know, once they break down these uh, large double wide structures, uh, they have to store them, and I would imagine there's a lot of maintenance that takes place on them. That was was that a part of their business too? It was, yeah. They, they had uh, uh, probably about you know twenty to thirty percent of their uh, uh, income was was derived from fixing these things. Uh, you know, they they have a lot of wear and tear on them after they've been used, and they would you know fix them and then you know get them ready to go right back out. Well, it sounds like a pretty great business, actually. Uh, what was really the motivation? Was this a partnership, a husband and wife, family operation? You know, give us a little uh, flavor of. Who owned it? Well, this was a smaller company. I mean, the, the, they were uh, uh, right around uh, $3 million or so in revenue. Um, uh, it was a nice small business, husband-wife uh, team um, run it, running the business. Uh, they were in their uh, kind of early to mid-60s and had decided it was you know time to retire. Um, I was referred to them by their uh, CPA, and uh, so I sat down and, and met with them and um, uh and really, you know, I, I've got a very structured process on how I do these things, and and uh, we started that process, and I and I did a uh, a broker opinion of value, and and in doing so, I really liked the business. It, it was impressive. Uh, they they were uh, a, a very um, a lean business. They were very profitable. Uh, they had a good uh, management. Um, group below the owner, um, you know, that, that allowed him to focus on, on just running the company. And so they had some good key people in the place. And, and once I finished it, um, uh, you know, I, I circled back with the owner and, and, uh, uh, you know, want to sit down and, you know, tell him what, what I think the company's worth and what I think the strike price is going to be. And, and make sure the owner's on the same planet that the rest of us are in terms of what his expectations are in terms of sale price. I would imagine there's some uh, quite a bit of equipment and real estate involved too. Yeah, and in, in, in this one, um, uh, they had a lot of equipment. You know, so these these machines are very very expensive. Uh, they had a very nice piece of real estate uh, centrally located, and and uh, um, uh, and then they also had uh, multiple locations. So they they had a, another location as well. So what is the other location? Was that key to the operation? Did it generate a lot of revenue for the? It did. Uh, it was, it was uh, a key and, and it was also um, uh, key from, from a marketing perspective that they'd, they'd already uh, kind of taken that leap and opened up a second location and been successful uh, where it was about a third of their cash flow. Uh, but that also kind of established that you know, this thing is ready to grow. You know, not only can we open open a second location, but as time goes on, we could probably open up, you know, three and four and, and really start focusing on growing this business. Was this location in St. Louis then, the, the primary location? No, they, they were uh, based in St. Louis. The, the secondary location was in uh, Kansas City. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 
So you got together and you started to make sure you're both on the same planet as far as valuation. How did the transaction unfold from there? Well, uh, I mean, that was uh, really the best part. Uh, from there, we kind of spiraled downhill and, and, uh, and it was un- unfortunate. But, you know, I, I, I see this uh, quite a bit um, uh, where, you know, owners, when they make a decision to sell the company, uh, they um, really stop running the company. They kind of take their foot off the gas and, 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 and um, it, it's almost like they're, uh, they have a feeling of, of embarrassment that they're selling the company. And in this situation, uh, everything looked great. We took the company to market, uh, had, uh, quite a few buyers, um, in the, in the, uh, um, process of, of marketing the business, uh, he had started losing some of his, uh, employees at the satellite location. And that's the one in Kansas city, right? The, the one in Kansas city. And, and the first one was a driver and, uh, which, you know, really wouldn't have been that difficult to replace. Um, but, uh, the, the second one, um, in, in during this same time frame, we had accepted a, a letter of intent. Uh, we had a very nice offer on the table, uh, a really exceptional buyer I, I mean they were well capitalized they the uh, uh very very sharp had all the right skills to, to to really grow this business and as we started the due diligence process uh he lost his uh key man in uh in kansas city so he lost a, not only a second driver but he was also the person kind of running uh the operation in kansas city and as i start finding this out and it and it wasn't exactly forthcoming. It kind of got, you know, uh, um, slowly released to me, but it, it was astonishing to me that the owner really had this uh, perception of, I'm not going to, you know, train, you know, spend all this effort training this guy for the next guy. He, he, he had really almost kind of, uh, made this mental adjustment that he had already sold the company. And I, I, really spent a lot of time with them explaining one the 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 deal's not done until the cash is in the bank i want to make sure i uh, my understanding that a third of the revenues were coming from the kansas city location correct i mean that wasn't it that's not insignificant that, that's correct it's not and uh and his thought was is is the equipment had a lot of value and he you know he could close kansas city down and just move the equipment back to st louis and um uh, but what he didn't understand is 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 the cash flow and and what the business is worth had now just dropped by a third. And when I explained that to him, um, uh, he was very defensive because uh, he couldn't understand it. And then uh, and then two um, really right away made a decision. Well, I would never sell it for that. You know, he had this uh idea that the company was worth a certain amount of money which it was uh had he not let that happen and uh but but the other the other piece of that too was just his uh his attitude uh, was uh very toxic to the deal and uh uh so you know the buyer really wanted the company uh but it 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 wasn't worth what it was you know just what you know when I took it to market and so uh, the buyer uh, in the due diligence process reduced his offer price. And uh, unfortunately, this deal, we weren't able to get done. Um, the, the owner was just very unrealistic and, um, uh, and, it, and it, it fell apart. Well, there's a great uh, insight here, I think, that you brought for our audience that's listening today. You know, the whole idea of, you know, what a buyer is expecting you have, uh, as I understand, if you've shared the details of this transaction, the seller didn't really put himself in the place of a buyer when he refused or had the attitude that he didn't want to train, you know, a new group of employees for the buyer, let him do that. Uh, he didn't really walk around to the other side of the table and think like a buyer. Uh, a buyer is going to want to see something in place if he's going to write a check for it. Uh, he's going to want to see that that uh, ability to generate revenue is there. And uh, that seems to be the big disconnect here. He didn't think like a uh, like a buyer would think. He was thinking exclusively from his self-serving seller point of view. Yeah, 
Um, and, and I've, I've, I've run into that, a uh, a couple times and, and, uh, you, you try and educate these folks as, as, as best you can, but, um, uh, you know, but it, 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 it's unfortunate, but a lot of times when they, they make a decision to, to sell the company, uh, they almost go into this, uh, kind of remorse phase and, and, and I really think they should go absolutely the other direction. You need to step on the gas and be proud of what you built and, and, and do your best to turn it over, uh, to the, to the next leadership group, uh, best you can, uh, because these are your employees. They're your, you know, friends, family that you've known forever. And, uh, and, and you also want to take care of those customers best you can. And, uh, in this situation, it, it's almost like a switch flipped in his head, and, and uh, he created a situation where he had a, a product that wasn't sellable. So you went from having a bunch of buyers, you know, you said six or seven buyers come to the table, and a very qualified buyer who was excited about the business, uh, and a few months later, because he took his foot off the gas, lost his focus, developed kind of a... Uh, I think my business is worth it. This amount attitude and the deal didn't get done. And, uh, it sounds like he may have had to jump back into the chick stirrups and ride this horse another two or three years to build up the revenue before it was saleable again. Yeah. I, I, uh, uh, you know, there was kind of a bad taste, um, in, uh, uh, in the air, if you will, during that deal process, because he, he still had a hard time understanding it, but he, I, he was not able to sell that company. So it took him you know, several years to kind of build that back up. Yeah. Well, great takeaway, I think, from those that are listening here today. So if you're positioning your company for a sale, uh, you want to keep that pedal to the metal and, uh, you know, drive through, get that uh, business across the finish line, because it's absolutely true. Until that money has been transferred and deposited in your bank account, the deal isn't done. Uh, we have a lot of stories here on the podcast where you think the deal is done five times and uh, not until the, the cash hits the bank account is the deal really done. Well, that's a great takeaway, Mike. Uh, why don't we jump into another transaction here that, uh, you know, uh, maybe had its uh, challenges and, uh, you know, actually kind of did get sold or maybe not sold. I don't know. So why don't you share this uh, transaction with us? Well, um, you know, I, I had another one uh, um, that uh, ultimately I, it wasn't sellable. I didn't take the deal, but I, I think it's worth it. It's, it's the same, uh, same kind of theme, you know, don't, don't take your foot off the gas. I, I, I feel like a lot of these uh, sellers wait way too long to sell the company. And, and this one was a, um, uh, it was a garage door uh, installer service. They they did a lot of high-end uh, security systems, and uh, they, they weren't electronic security systems, but the the uh, the door installations. And um, you know, at one point, he had a really nice company, and in this situation, he had uh, uh, I think intended on giving it to his son uh, or working a deal out with his son. And had his son been working in the business, or was he brought in from outside? Well, not much he 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 was working kind of on and off uh for many years but uh he he had made a decision to go you know full time and this is what they were going to do and and jumped into the leadership role uh probably you know about 5 years before i i got involved in it and uh um in the um uh when i met with the owner he was in uh, his late 70s um and uh uh, I did the same, you know, process that I would with any seller and, and really went through the, the valuation process and, uh, in, in doing so, you know, the, uh, it became very clear to me that the son had run this business into the ground and, and, uh, the seller had no idea. So the sellers in his seventies, he steps away from the business, hands the keys to his son. His son has some experience, but not a lot of experience, steps in, and I don't know if general business skills or kind of how did this unfold that you were able to figure out what was the big issue that you were able to identify that the business had lost significant value, and you you quoted and saying he kind of run it into the ground. What does that mean? Yeah, well, well, first off, uh, he created some uh, some friction with some of the key employees that had been there for a long time uh, and lost those employees and. And the net result was was the revenue uh, took a hit, 
so the so the business wasn't quite as as large revenues wise as it as it was you know three or four years uh, earlier. Uh, didn't have the the same employee base. Uh, didn't have you know kind of backups to to all those key people. And and that's always one of the the problems with some of these smaller companies is you lose one or two key people and and you could lose a really big chunk of your company. And um, uh, so so the revenue was down. The the cash flow was down. But uh, the bigger issue on this one was the uh, the 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 son had managed to rack up uh, over a half a million dollars worth of uh, debt. And the majority of it uh, was credit card debt. I mean, he, this guy was paying enormous interest rates on credit card debt. And, uh, you know, dad um, didn't necessarily see that. Uh, they saw, you know, the expenses and interest is going up as an expense. And, and uh, um, you know, in, in uh, a lot of business owners kind of can put themselves in a broker position and say, well, that interest doesn't matter, right? <laughs> <laughs> we always add back the interest depreciation and, and uh, amortization when we're figuring out what a business is worth. But in this situation, the the, uh, the value of the business, it, it dropped in half. That's going to have to be retired when the business is sold. So That's absolutely right. Yeah, nobody looks at the balance sheet enough. And uh, uh but you know, in this situation, you know, dad, uh, dad had had this uh, uh, concept that the business was worth uh, what it used to be, and and the reality was was not only was it worth half of what it used to be, but there's really no money left uh, when you sell it, and no money left because once you pay off the debts, the net proceeds right. from a sale <laughs> is going to be uh, low or yeah. not a lot, right? And and. And, and not a lot, you know, it was concerning enough that uh, was there enough there for me to get paid if I did sell it? You know, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, folks that I think still would have liked to add this company to their uh, their portfolio, you know, if you will. There's a lot of strategic buyers that I think would have been interested in this. So, uh, but ultimately, I did not uh, take that deal. And, and uh, uh, it just, it, it wasn't really a sellable uh, company at that point. Well, there's there's some interesting uh, insights here. I think when we're talking about uh, you know the you know most fathers and parents you know want to see their you know kids succeed and they've built a company up over a period of years and you know they have this uh, vision and this dream that their company will be able to live on in the family and they can pass it on. Uh, in this particular case, it didn't sound like it worked out too well. Other cases, it does. But what would you, if you had to use your crystal ball and look into the crystal ball, what should an owner like this do? He has a son that wants to become involved in the business and he wants to pass on the business. What would you have done differently or recommend someone in that position that's listening here today? What would be a better strategy instead of just hiring the son to come in and take over and assume a leadership role? Uh, you know, that he isn't held, you know, accountable when, when dad is off and not involved on a day-to-day -day basis. How would you restructure this so that it might have a better outcome? Yeah. Well, for, well, first, I, I would have gotten with a, 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 an experienced business broker much, much earlier. And, uh, um, uh, the, 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 uh, I, I, I seem to get called in on these a lot and, and, and the, I get called in at a point where you can't help them anymore. And, uh, I always would tell people the best thing you could do is, um, if you're going to do that, is sell them the company. You know, go ahead and finish that transaction. And okay, so back up here, sell sell the son the company. Sell the son the company, and uh, you know, you could give him a great deal. So this would mean that you would go through a formal valuation process. You would identify what the value is. You would go out to. Uh, you know, in the, at the time of the sale, get outside financing. The son would be, you know, borrow the money, pay dad off, and he would then be responsible for running the company. And, and that, that's how, what you're, what you actually mean when we're, you're saying sell this, the kids. The that's company. exactly right. Yeah. And, and, um, uh, and dad can still help at that point, same way you would if you sold it to an individual buyer, but, uh, it, it achieves a couple things. One, uh, you know, that, that person can succeed or fail. If they don't have to succeed, I think their chance of failure goes way up. And, and if, if you don't actually sell them the company, they don't 
it, it's kind of not theirs yet. If you sell them the company, it is theirs. You know, now it's up to you. You know, you 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 sink or swim. It it it's uh, it's it's all on you. And uh, so so the motivation, I think, it, it changes completely at that point. Um, but two, uh, you've protected your own retirement, and and you've really protected their inheritance. You know. Um, so what do you mean by that when you say you've protected their inheritance because they have the company now? Well, if they failed, you know, dads, the parents are still retired and they typically have enough to live on. And and my my experience in, in most of these sales is, is is the business owners and the entrepreneurs are are, are very uh, sharp, conservative. They're they're typically savers. Um, you know, the 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 actual proceeds for the sale isn't going to really make a huge difference in their life. Um, you know, their lifestyle is kind of already set and, and they, they, they are usually in pretty good shape. Uh, so, you know, ultimately, you know, when mom and dad die, there are some retirement savings that are going to get uh, passed on. Well, if, if, if you, if you let your kid run your business into the ground where, you know, the majority of your net worth is wrapped up into this company and you didn't, you know, realize any of those, uh, gains, um, you might lose all of it. So let's just uh, stand back and take a look at what you just said, because I think there's a great takeaway here in that uh, if a company is sold to your kids and not just handed to them as a part of, you know, an advance on their inheritance, let's say, uh, and they run the company into the ground, which obviously in this particular situation happened, then everything is gone. You know, the inheritance is gone because the company is now worth nothing. There was nothing realized when the company was worth uh, a significant amount of money. And now the, the kids don't have a company. They don't have an inheritance. The parents may be put, you know, behind the eight ball of not having, you know, the cash flow that they expected. Um, and so that's the worst of all worlds. But if you sell the company to your kids, even if they run it into the ground, you have the proceeds of the sale. And uh, you probably have a lifestyle established, and they're probably eventually going to get that inheritance anyway. So it, that's kind of a win situation all the way around, even if the ball is dropped. Yeah, um, it, it, it is. It, 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 it adds a level of protection, and, it, and it's and it's fairly easy to do, and, and it can be done on a, on very friendly terms. You know, the the other negative is is I've seen quite a few of these deals where where if. if uh, like in this situation, if the company's not sellable, all of a sudden it becomes a liability very quickly. You know, you still got to figure out what to do with this company. If it's not making money and it's not sellable, you got to shut it down. There's a whole expense associated with that uh, in both time and money. <laughs> not to mention all the family stress and the relationships that can be destroyed, you know, when that type of uh, stress is put on a relationship. Definitely. Well, great takeaway. So, I guess for those owners out there that have family involved and might want to pass it on to their kids, the takeaway here is that you might want to sell them the company instead of just uh, having them work in the company and run it because, as you said, it's not really theirs at that point in time. So uh, great takeaway. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's move over and just take a, a quick break here. We'll be back in a, a few minutes here with Mike. As we listen to some of the exit stories from Mike today, if you want to find out more about how you can double the amount of money you put into your pocket when you are thinking about selling your business, I have a free download that will outline some of the steps you need to think about as you begin to position your business for an eventual exit. To get your copy and downloaded version of this report, simply go to www.businessexitstories.com forward slash double to get your copy. Now let's get back to Mike. All right, Mike, I uh, would like to kind of turn our attention now to some transactions that you've been involved with over the years that, uh, you know, went well. Uh, maybe, you know, instead of hitting a double or a triple, maybe actually even hitting a home run in some of the transactions you've been involved in that kind of turned out well. So why don't you share one of those with us? Yeah, on the, you know, kind of same basic theme, you know, don't take your foot off the gas. Um, I, I got involved with a industrial equipment manufacturer. It was, it was a company that uh, manufactured large uh, industrial burners. And, and you know, it's really kind of three companies in one. They, they manufactured, the, you know, the burners, designed, you know, installed them, um, and then uh, serviced them, and then uh, also supplied uh, parts 
uh, for those burners. So burners, you mean like burners for furnaces or furnaces? What does that mean? Yeah, but these are these are really big burners. These are the types of burners that you would see uh, at Anheuser Busch, you know, heating the uh, uh, vats um, that are making beer. Uh, it might be in uh, uh, different painting applications at a Boeing. It might be in your ethanol plants. So these are big companies. Their client list were large. Their clients are the very largest uh, companies in America. Uh, and uh, really, you know, it was a very neat business. I've um, uh, been around for a very long time. Um, they had uh, three locations, um, uh, and it was just a, it was a, it was a fun deal uh, to work on. But just for clarification here, they manufactured the burners, uh, they installed the burners, I guess, and uh, and because they manufactured it, you probably couldn't get parts any place but from them. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, to, to kind of maintain that warranty on, on the product, if you will, that they wanted to make sure they were the ones working on them. And in most cases, these companies didn't have the expertise in house anymore. You know, years ago they might have, but, uh, today they outsource everything. So, so the, the, the repeat business for this company was really locked in. It, it was just a, a very nice business model. And I suppose the motivation for thinking about selling is that the owners have been doing this a long time and it was retirement time, that type of scenario yeah so so this one was really interesting i got referred to uh the this client by by his cpa and uh we met with them kind of did the normal process and and one of the things that came up in that process is is this guy um had really um uh, spent a lot of time and effort rebranding uh, the company, and and uh, they were doing the same thing. But he really made the message uh, clear to um, uh, the outside world on 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 what this business was all about. And and he spent a lot of money. I I, I think at at this point he was probably about ninety thousand, uh, which um, sounds like a lot for marketing. But this was a this was a pretty large company. So even though he was getting ready to sell it, he still was investing in this rebranding thing, the whole effort to reposition the company, I guess, and how it's perceived in the marketplace. And he was continuing and he had no, I guess he just continued even after he decided to sell. Well, I, I think in the middle of this, uh, he really started questioning, why am I spending all this money when I'm, you know, 63, 64 years old and I need to need to start thinking about selling? Does it make sense to to do this um, when, you know, I, I know neither one of my kids are, are going to take this company over, so I'm going to have to sell it. That's the only exit that I have. And, uh, and, I, and I found it fascinating. Um, and I will tell you that the company was in a very positive growth mode, you know, because he was rebranding it and doing a lot more marketing and and it was working well. Revenue was on the increase. Gross margin was on the increase. You know, I have a saying that gross margin floats all boats. It's really helpful for the business broker, too, when, when things are, are, are going north instead of south. And uh, uh, so it was kind of fun to, to work on the project from that perspective. But, um, you know, the, the other side, side of this is um, uh, when we took the business to market, uh, there was a lot of material that I had to work with. And uh, so when I got the book done and I was, I was able to mail these out, one of the things that really helped the marketing process was um, having the video uh, information. And, and so when I sent that initial email out, uh, that uh, video um, uh, material was r really helpful because it created a sense of trust with uh, the buyer. Uh, they, they could see this person, they knew what it was about, they understood the company, and, and, and it was a very believable story and, the, and the, the numbers obviously backed it up. And uh, so it really created a ton of interest very quickly. And, uh, um, and, and we had a lot of offers. Uh, uh, you know, on this one, I think uh, we had uh, maybe 11 uh, offers, quite a few private equity groups, um, uh, you know, some, some family office types, a uh, couple strategics, and, and, and a few individuals that were kind of heavy net worth individuals. And, and really, the, I guess the driver behind all this interest was the, uh, growth engine because of the marketing that was taking place and part of this rebranding effort that started to actually work. 
uh, everything was on an uptick. Sales were on an uptick, profitability, gross margins, everything was on an uptick. And when you have that type of scenario and people can see it, um, it makes a big difference uh, on the interest level. And 11, 11 buyers at the table, that can create a lot of uh, competitive uh, bidding type of situation. Yeah, everything was positive. I mean, it's just a lot of positive energy going into it. And then uh, as we were evaluating the different offers, and and really, if I get over three offers, they start to get confusing. And, and this one, you know, we're trying to pick, uh, you know, who would be the best buyer and, and uh, who would be the best for the employees and, and whatnot. And ultimately, we, um, you know, selected a buyer and, and, uh, and got the deal done. And, you know, I look back and, and, you know, one of his biggest concerns when I when I met with him is I'm spending all this money to rebrand the company for the next guy. And I looked at, you know, uh, my valuation when we initially met, and, and I really feel like this company probably would have traded, you know, somewhere around four and a half to, to you know, maybe 4.8, you know, times EBITDA. And uh, ultimately, uh, it sold, uh, you know, close to about five 5.7 uh, times EBITDA. And, uh, you know, when I look back, that, that was really a lot of it was the result of, of, uh, of the work that he'd done. H- had he not done that, it, it would have just been another uh, another company. So for our audience, when you're talking about multiples of EBITDA here, why don't you talk a little bit about what EBITDA is for those that might not know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, when we're valuing companies, uh, companies that are fairly stable and, and just kind of have a normal growth uh, record, uh, we'll value it at the earnings uh, before interest, taxes, and depreciation and amortization. So uh, we'll add all that back, and it really gives uh, the cash flow uh, of that company that the new owner is going to realize. And um, you know, so in this situation, that 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 was the number that kind of dictated the values that 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 uh, a lot of these buyers were trying to to stick in. Um, it, it really pushed that up. I mean, I, when, it, when I look at the, the marketing and, and if you were going to sell the company, does it make sense to spend $90,000 to put a new paint job on your company? And in this situation, I would tell you that he probably got a 10 times return on that new paint job. And uh, it, it, it was really very helpful. So, you know, compare this to the earlier story that you shared where uh, the buyer you know, kind of took his foot off the gas and didn't replace employees, you know, was even thinking about closing an office that had a third of his revenue. Uh, he just stopped that revenue and the company was on in a downtick mode and he ended up not being able to sell his company, at least initially. And we have a situation here where someone was still pouring fuel on the fire, investing money in rebranding and marketing and you made the statement there, which I think is insightful, that it was a 10x return. He invested $90,000. And if you multiply that by 10, you know what type of you know, return he got on that $90,000 investment. I don't think it's any different than you know when you're selling a piece of property, a home or a commercial piece of property. Uh, you know, you go through and you put a paint job on it and you spruce up the outside of the building and haul away all the trash and, you know, make the building presentable. So, and I, I, I'd imagine that's exactly what you're saying here, what, whether it's marketing or anything else, a buyer should really walk around, as I said earlier, the other side of the table and look at it, look at your business as a buyer and what's going to make it more appealing. Would you, would you say that's a fair statement? Absolutely, you know, and and uh, and I'd recommend to any any sellers, um, you know, when you're when you're getting ready to sell your company, is walk through it like a buyer. Put yourself in that buyer's position, and and if it needs a new paint job, that's cheap. Get a new paint job. It really makes makes a difference. And and a lot of times, you know, taking out the trash is 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 is, is so true. I mean, I, I walk through a lot of these companies, and and you'll just see, you know, piles of stuff that that are 20 years old, <laughs> you know, you wouldn't let that sit in your house usually. Uh, but, but for some reason in, in businesses, they, they, they can, they can sit there and nobody seems to notice. So, so you just get rid of that stuff, spruce up the place a little bit. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it really makes selling the business a lot, a lot easier. So the big takeaway here, I guess, is don't stop investing in your business. And it may even be a smart thing to do as it was for this seller here. 
uh, he got a 10x return on those dollars that he invested to keep that engine, the revenue engine, profitability engine, the gross margin engine moving forward. He, he made a great return on that investment and had a multiple buyer. So I think that's a great takeaway. So thinking about selling your business, uh, listen to that story and uh, think about your business in, in that context. So let's wrap it up with uh, kind of a, a final story here. Uh, can you share another transaction with us that had a good takeaway? Yeah, this, this was a terrific story. And, you know, one thing I always tell uh, buyers and sellers, there's, there's really three things that need to happen to sell a business. And uh, one of them is the the buyer's got to believe that, it, you know, the, the business is going to do what it's been doing without the seller there. Um, the um, uh, buyer's got to believe that they can run it and there's a path for growth. And then about a third of it is 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 trust and and you know the the buyer's got to trust the seller, but the seller's also got to trust the buyer and and there's also a bunch of other flavors of trust and and one of those is is you got to be able to trust the books and uh, uh, this uh, story I I, I get uh, introduced to the seller by a forensic accountant. So that forensic accounting, you know, maybe a lot of our audience knows what a forensic accounting does, but for those that might not, why don't you talk a little bit about why someone would hire a forensic accounting and what their role is? Yeah, well, uh, a forensic accountant is typically a very senior, you know, CPA that's got a experience in a lot of different fields has, has done audits and and would look at it, but, but they're usually uh, hired uh, to track down uh, crime <laughs> that happened in the book, some some sort of corporate espionage or, or criminal activity, and, uh, and and that was the case in this one. What kind of company was it again? This company was a gasket uh, manufacturer, and uh, I just love the company. It was a, a very nice uh, business, and you know when you walk through a company and you see these machines uh, making you know, 50 or so gaskets a, a minute and, uh, and realize that each one of those gaskets is, is probably about a, a three or $4. Uh, and, and that machine doesn't call in sick. It doesn't need benefits. Uh, you know, it, 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 it shows up to work every day on time. I just love it. It's just a, a really neat business. Well, so almost like printing money, huh? It really is. <laughs> um, and, uh, so, so I really, you know, like the business, but the, um, I, I had, gotten introduced to um, uh, the the seller uh, probably about three years after uh, that this whole process had, had unfolded. And so, so let's just get, get the context. So three years before you were brought in to evaluate the company and probably position it for sale, the owners or someone had brought in the forensic accounting to track down something that was going on in the company that wasn't quite right. Right. In, in this situation, the, uh, you know, the, the, the company originally had three founders and, and one of them passed away a long time ago. But when that, when that, uh, and they, they had done everything right. They were set up right. They were structured right. Uh, they had really uh, done, done a much better job of preparation than a lot of businesses that I see. So they probably had an insurance policy in place to buy out the deceased partner's interest and everything was set up yep. appropriately. And it worked like clockwork, and and uh, so so I was left with two owners, and and uh, it was a fifty fifty uh, deal at that point, um, which is always interesting. You know, you know, I, I think yeah, fifty fifty deals don't normally work out, and in this case, they it wasn't set up that way, but it ended up that way. And um, uh, the the seller that I was representing was really the plant manager, uh, so he was he was responsible for the manufacturing uh, piece of that, and the uh, uh, other owner or previous owner um, was responsible for um, the uh, uh, sales and, and marketing and basically kind of the front office stuff. But part of that front office stuff was all the books and finance. And uh, at some point, uh, something, you know, flipped in that, that owner and um, uh, he had, he had gotten sick and uh, I think, you know, went through whatever he went through but in that process, he became a gambling addict. And when he uh, and had access to the company funds, it, yeah, when he had, had uh, uh, expired all his own funds, uh, he, he uh, turned to the company. And and um, uh, it was probably, you know, two to three years after uh, this had started before the other owner realized that there was a problem. And, and uh, so. Uh, he, uh, you know, turned to, uh, uh, got some help from the outside and, and, 
uh, one of uh, his uh, attorney recommended the forensic accountant, and it probably took the forensic accountant 10 minutes of, of research to realize that there was a much bigger problem here than, than maybe he realized. And, and there was that this had been going on by the time he figured it out had been going on uh, two to three years. And um, uh, so they uh, came to an agreement that, um, uh, you know, the, the one owner was leaving the company and, uh, but uh, for, for the other owner, uh, that was a tough situation because, you know, he really wasn't, didn't have any financial uh, capabilities. Um, you know, he'd never done that. Uh, he didn't really have very good computer uh, capabilities. Um, you know, that wasn't his strong point. And, uh, um, uh, and he kind of got thrust into this uh, CEO role of a, a fairly substantial company. And um, uh, uh, so, you know, the, the, it was a rough situation for him. So how, how did he resolve that? I mean, he couldn't run it himself because he didn't understand the role of a CPA and the accounting and the marketing and things like that. How did he plug those holes? Well, he had a, a really strong uh, uh, support team, if you will, outside the company. And they had helped get the uh, uh, appropriate uh, people in place to, to kind of plug some of those holes. So, okay. uh, they had a, a CPA that got, was much more involved in the books at that point. And, uh, uh, so they really, uh, had, had a, had a fantastic, uh, CPA that was doing a lot more of the finance, um, that a normal CPA would. And, uh, so, so that piece was good. And then, uh, uh, from my perspective as a, as a business broker, the forensic accountant was able to, um, you know, basically re-engineer all the books. So they went through and really figured out everything that this individual had done, and uh, and document it. And uh, so we were, we were able now to get a clean set of books that was believable. You know, that that we knew was correct, and and uh, and had all the documentation to back it up. And so when I got involved and did a did evaluation, um, there were some gaps in the company. But the gaps that I saw were really more on the sales and, and finance side. The uh, operations and the plant, if you will, uh, really had a lot of good people and, and, and were, were uh, in good shape. You know, and uh, a lot of the buyers um, that I see out there have the skill sets that this company was lacking. And uh, so I, I really felt pretty strong that there was a lot of value in this business uh, that I would be able to sell it. And I, I really liked the uh, seller, trusted the seller. You know, he, he had a good story. It was a sad story, but it was a good story. And, uh, and then as I went through the books and, and it really evaluated the, the documentation kind of from a buyer's perspective, uh, I could see what had happened and uh and i believed the books that we had so all of this was disclosed i mean you had to explain it so it was all disclosed but the real what what i think is interesting about uh, your description of the transaction of how they did did all the hard work restructuring the books with the forensic accountant they got everything uh, in place so that what was eventually brought to the table for a buyer at some point uh, was believable. It could be explained and had a high degree of credibility and, and compliance that the forensic accountant was able to build in so that any other accountant could go through and see what had happened. Right. Yeah, that, that's correct. And, and, uh, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about selling your, selling your company, uh, uh you want to, uh, do that stuff ahead of time. And, and, uh, in this situation, we were able to do, you know, kind of all that stuff before we took it to market. And, uh, uh, so, it, you know, it, it really, uh, didn't create any of those stresses, you know, on the, on the trust issue, um, uh, when, when we sold it and we were, able to, we, we had multiple offers on that and, uh, uh, really found a terrific buyer, uh, that had all the finance and, and, uh, kind of management capabilities and fit very, very nicely into this business. Well, I guess the big takeaway here, Mike, would be what? Clean up your problems before you take the, the business to market. Yeah. E even, in a, even in a situation like this, when you have a really distressed situation that may be teetering on the right. solvency, you know, because of whatever happens, like it happened in this case, but they took the time to fix the problem first. That's correct. Yeah. 
and uh, I, I would say the other takeaway too is 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 when you think of trust, um, you really have to trust those books. And and, and if you can't, you know, I mean, I, I've run into situations where where there'll be an issue, and a lot of these buyers will will kind of do that dance, if you will, through due diligence, and they'll want to buy the company, uh, but you know, as soon as they, they lose trust, the deal's not going to get done and we're just going to end up wasting a lot of time. You know, in this situation, we, we everything, all the I's were dotted, T's were crossed. Uh, we had backup documentation for everything and, and we were able to get a very favorable deal, deal done. So I guess for those listening, um, trust is a big issue. I don't care if it's, you know, trust in your employees, you know, that they're going to remain with the company, trust in the financial statements, trust in, you know, what the profitability and the future of the company is going to look like. A buyer is going to have to have a high degree of trust to be able to write the check that every seller wants them to write. And if that trust is lacking or not that all that strong, uh, you may not get as much as you think you're going to get it or as you mentioned the deal may not even get done because of the lack of trust right right that's correct and and uh you know small companies they all have some sort of problems but uh we're going to find them in due diligence the buyer's going to find them in due diligence the bank's going to find them in due diligence uh you know anybody that can afford to make a purchase like this is is typically uh uh not dumb you're not going to get one by them you know i mean so so if, if there's issues out there we got to clean them up first all right well great takeaway uh, mike if someone wanted to reach out and get a hold of you what would be the best way for them to do that uh you know the easiest is is actually through my website is mike at kendallcapitalgroup.com and it's k-e-n-d-a-l-l capitalgroup.com. Uh, all, all my uh, contact information's there. Yeah, and you have a nice video on the website there that I, uh, you know, people can take a look at and get a little bit feel for how you uh, position your services for, you know, buyers and sellers out there. So, well, this has been a great discussion here today, Mike. Appreciate you taking the time. So this is Marvin L. Storm with the Business Exit Stories podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Business Exit Stories podcast. For more information or to reach out to today's guest, visit www.businessexitstories.com for more details. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast from your favorite podcasting platforms. And remember, maximizing business value at the time of exit doesn't happen magically. It takes planning.